Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guest. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to study up a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also, visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com, or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. Have you ever been in the room, maybe in the midst of a conversation, when simply because of the wording that was used, the, the jargon that was used, you were kind of like that guy on the screen? You just didn't really know what people were talking about. I remember a very difficult day for one fame in particular. This was when we lived in Nashville. And I was preaching there. My phone rang one day, and there was a couple about our age, and they had a son who had been sick for some time. And Leah was actually at the church building at a ladies' Bible class with Mary Carroll, and Turner was out with me. We were make, getting ready to make a visit. My phone rang, and I pulled off to the side. And the father, the husband, was just beside himself on the phone and he said they think my son may have cancer and so I scrambled around as much as I could and took Turner back to the church building to Leah and drove to downtown Nashville to Vanderbilt Children's Hospital and sat with him most of the rest of that day but the part of that day that I remember really more than anything else other than that phone call was I was sitting in the room with the mother and the father he is a veterinarian, she's a nurse, and the doctor came in, and they had a fairly lengthy conversation, I would guess somewhere around 15 to 20 minutes. And I'm not saying this to be funny, I'm saying this to be serious. I had no idea what they were talking about. And I told that couple later that day, as things began to settle down a little bit, and I've told them several times since, that they were asking questions that I didn't understand. Not, not just didn't understand the answer to. They were using terminology that I was totally out of the loop. Had no idea even the questions. And I've told them that they were just the right parents. In fact, he's an adopted child. And I said, you're the right parents because you're asking questions that need to be asked. Maybe you've been in conversations like that before. It's not because we're dumb or we're, you know, we're not intelligent. It's because that's just not our world. We, we don't understand that terminology, that jargon. And it just happens. Maybe you're in a profession that has a certain type of terminology and you and your buddies in that profession have conversations and the other folks just stand there and nod like they have some idea what's going on and they have no earthly idea what you're talking about. We, we, we know that feeling. And are there not some words or phrases that the only time you ever hear them or see them is in Scripture or in Bible class? You may have noticed one of those in our Scripture reading tonight. And if you're following along with our one word for the Sunday nights, this is one of those that I'm, I'm thankful they put in the book. I'm thankful they put in the list. I'm just 
not thankful. I wish, I wish it was Tyler's night to preach. I'll just put it that way, okay? When I saw it, I was like, wow, you've got to be kidding. Our word for this week is the word propitiation, which is a word I'm sure you use every day, all the time, and I'm just not in those conversations for some reason. But I hope by the end of this lesson tonight, as we examine 1 John chapter 4, and if you have your Bible open back to that text, you can have an outline of the lesson right there in that text. I hope you'll gain a greater appreciation for this lengthy word. Now, you may have a translation of the Bible in front of you. Some modern translations don't even use the word propitiation. Instead, what they, what some translations, the New International Version does this, and some others do it as well, is they'll put a, a phrase there to get at least a sense of what this word means. And the phrase that's sometimes found in those translations is atoning sacrifice. The NIV in 1 John chapter 4, instead of propitiation, just uses that phrase. You'll also see it in 1 John chapter 2. Instead of propitiation, you'll see atoning sacrifice. And that's not a bad definition or translation, but here's the only problem I have with, with, with translations using that phrase, is it only gets at part of the meaning of the word. That word, propitiation, it does mean an atoning sacrifice, but it also carries the idea of appeasing Propitiation is a sacrifice that atones because it appeases the wrath of someone else. In this case, obviously, the wrath of God. It's why we sometimes sing the song, The wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on Him was laid. That's where that phrase of that that song comes from. It's from the concept of propitiation. Now, I'm saving one part of the definition of propitiation for later in the lesson. But if you have those couple of phrases or those three words really in mind, you have basically a definition of the word. An atoning sacrifice, something that appeases for some, for something else. One scholar, as he was trying to, to define the word and help us see it in, in other ways, said that reconciliation is where we are made right with God. But then he said this word, propitiation, is the manner in which we as sinners can be right with God, or his words, where we can be made friends with God again. That's not a bad way to think about it. But we have to have in mind that concept of God's wrath being appeased for the full picture to come to mind. Knowing that definition, knowing what the word propitiation means, at least at some level, What I want to do with you tonight is look at 1 John chapter 4, that text that Kyle read for us a few moments ago. And I want us to see some things that are found in a passage that most of us know at least part of. God is love is in this passage, right? Most of us know it well. But I want to focus in specifically on 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. And I want us to see three things specifically about propitiation that hopefully will help us gain a greater appreciation for it. And then having seen those things... I want us to go just a touch further in that text and gain a takeaway, an application. Once we understand what this word means, so what for our lives? But first of all, I want you to notice that even this big fancy word, propitiation, is from God's love. Did you notice that 1 John 4 and verse 10 begins with the phrase, In this is love. 
The central focus of 1 John 4 and verse 10 is the death of Jesus. We're going to talk more more about that in just a few moments. But it's in this statement that the word propitiation is found. And John says that we see love, specifically we see God's love. And it should not surprise you that the word here for love is that word agape. Sometimes called the the highest form of love. It's that love that's self-sacrificial. It seeks the ultimate good in its object, in the other person. It's the kind of love you see over and over and over in the New Testament attributed to God. And God's love is a subject we can never exhaust. You and I bask in the love of God. And we read passage after passage and think about the love of God. And even though we're appreciative of it and we hopefully love Him in return, we can never exhaust understanding the love of God. And the main reason that's true is because our best effort at this kind of love falls short to His perfection at having agape love. Just think about the love of God for a moment. John 3.16, of course, tells us, That God so loved the world. Romans chapter 5 verses 6 through 8 reminds us that God's love was on full display and contrasted with our love when Paul said, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might or would even dare to die. But God shows or demonstrates His agape, love for us, In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And by the way, two verses later, Romans 5.10 tells us we were His enemies when that happens. Psalm 86 and verse 15 praises God with these words, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 5 and 6 speaks of God saving us because of the love with which he loved us. And I can't think of the love of God without considering the last few verses of Romans chapter 8, where Paul would write, beginning in verse 37, Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You and I cannot fathom the love of God. We can try and we should try, but we can't fathom it. And maybe it's best expressed in the words we sometimes sing in a song that's entitled The Love of God, where the poet tried to get it across to us and we try to express it when we sing. Could we with ink the ocean fill, or were the skies with parchment made, Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. When we speak of that word, propitiation, we are speaking of something that is made manifest to us out of the love of God. So what is it? Well, propitiation in the second place is why Jesus came to the earth. Of course, our text tonight is from 1 John. 
But it shouldn't surprise us that there were at least echoes to some things John had written at least a little bit earlier in his account of the gospel, the book of John, as we often call it. And if you can continue reading in 1 John 4 and verse 10, you're going to see in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. Does that not echo back to maybe the most famous verse in the book of John? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Now, while the word sent is not found in John 3.16, the concept is there, that God did this out of His love. We sometimes sing a song. In fact, I think we sang it this morning, Brother John asked the question, why did my Savior come to earth and to the humble go? And correctly, when we sing that song, we answer back by singing, because He loved me so. Now, that certainly is true. But that love comes from the Father and the verse we're examining tonight, 1 John 4.10, points out that the love of God sent His Son, but He sent Him for a purpose, to be a propitiation. Propitiation is why Jesus came to the earth. And if that propitiation, as we'll think about in a few moments, includes the cross, includes His death, includes His blood, then folks, that puts absolutely to bed A false teaching that is so prevalent in the religious world around us. You and I have religious friends so often around us who are taught and who believe that Jesus died on the cross and that was just a secondary plan of God. The teaching they would say is that Jesus came to this earth to set up an earthly kingdom. He he was going to finally overthrow the Roman shackles and he was going to set up an earthly kingdom in Jerusalem, sit on David's throne and establish that earthly kingdom. But then the Jews rejected him. And in fact, they killed him. And so God had to come up with sort of a a secondary plan. I've heard it described quite often as a stopgap plan of the church. And the cross was basically God's plan failing. Folks, 1 John 4.10 says the cross is not God's plan failing. The cross is God's plan. Because Jesus was sent by the Father out of the love of the Father to be a propitiation for our sins. We'll get to how that happened in a moment more specifically. But the cross was not a backup plan. Jesus is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. When you and I see that word propitiation, do we ever stop and consider that's why He came? To be that sacrifice that appeases the wrath of God. And so, with that in mind then, let's spend some time thinking about the third fact. And that is that propitiation does, in fact, atone for our sins. This is where that very meaning, the definition of the word, comes into play. Because 1 John 4.10 ends with the phrase that Jesus came to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, go back to that definition in your mind that we began with to think about the word. We've already said... That the word carries the idea of an atoning sacrifice. We've already said the word carries the idea of appeasing, specifically appeasing the wrath of God. But I mentioned I saved part of the definition, and here it is. Because the word propitiation also carries with it the idea of covering or to cover over. Some have suggested that when you see the word propitiation in your Bible, in your mind, you, you can put the phrase cover over or a covering And get the same idea that Jesus came to be a covering for our sins. That's not a bad idea. Now think of that in the midst of the phrase that we're studying tonight. Jesus covered over our sin. But when we think about how he did that, it adds so much beauty 
and so much weight to our thoughts. Put those definitions together. Jesus covered over our sins by shedding His blood to be my atoning sacrifice so that God's wrath against me would be appeased. That's what propitiation means. And it all comes back to the cross, the shedding of the blood of Christ, that our sins would be covered over. It goes back to a song many of you grew up singing, When I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. And does that not bring into mind so many things found throughout Scripture that all come together in this beautiful word? It brings to mind when the Israelites were getting ready to leave Egypt. And they had to take of that lamb and take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorpost and the top of the door. What was with that? Well, it's because God said, I'm sending the death angel, the tenth plague, right? And I'm saying to Egypt and anybody else who's not faithful, by the way. But if you put that blood on the doorpost when that death angel comes, that's where the song comes from. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. God basically, if I may paraphrase, was saying, I'm going to see the blood and I'm going to see your obedience in that. It brings to mind all those sacrifices that the people made in the Old Testament, specifically those they brought on the Day of Atonement, those they brought year by year. That The Hebrews writer reminds us that they brought those sacrifices not without blood. He says it about three or four times in that book. And we often talk about how it rolled the sins forward for another year. That's not a bad way of thinking about it. But it does remind us that what God told them to do was, you make that sacrifice, and if again, if I may paraphrase, when I see the blood of that lamb on that day, your sins are looked over. The times this ignorance God overlooked, God winked at. And it brings to mind... The blood of Jesus. That when he hung on that cross, he really did die. And it really did cost him his life's blood. And by the way, parenthetically, I didn't put this on the screens, but parenthetically, that should also remind us of one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why baptism is immersion. Don't you want to be covered by the blood of Christ? Now, I know the word baptism just means immersion, but shouldn't this be at least a secondary reason? But you think about those, and there are other things you could tie in as well. But you think about those three things specifically that basically bring together God's plan for redemption through mankind. The Israelites coming out of Egypt. His people in the Old Testament through all the sacrifices, but specifically that one on the Day of Atonement. And then ultimately, of course, the blood of Christ. And when you and I are baptized... Well, how did John begin this letter nearly in 1 John chapter 1? If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, the blood of his son, Jesus, literally, continually cleanses us from all sin. What was God saying? When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. That's propitiation. When you and I see that word in Scripture, that's what we see. We see God finding, having, excuse me, a way for my sin to be covered over, atoned for, and His wrath appeased. Now, I told you there's one takeaway I want us to make. You can call it a fourth point, you can call it conclusion, whatever you want. 
But one takeaway I want to make sure of as we go back into our text and continue reading in 1 John chapter 4. And I want you to notice that John also makes it clear that propitiation is the basis for our love, specifically our love one for another. When you know what propitiation means, and when you know what it costs to the Father, that is, it cost Him His only Son, and it cost the Son His very life's blood, the very next verse in 1 John chapter 4 should take on even new meaning. As Paul, as John wrote in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Sometimes it's easy to take that verse And just build a lesson or just build a point of application and not put it in where John wrote it. He had just said that Jesus serves or is our propitiation. Jesus' blood covers over our sins. Jesus shed His blood. And if God loved me that much, how in the world could I ever hold a petty disagreement with a Christian and not love a brother or sister in Christ? You want to tell me that's not a powerful verse? You want to tell me that's not a verse every church needs? You want to tell me that's not a concept that every Christian needs to have? This whole context that Kyle read for us a few moments ago that begins all the way back up in verse 7, really earlier than that, but this paragraph that begins up in verse 7, is about the love of God. Verse 7 even says it. Love is from God. Verse 8, God is love. And the rest of the section that goes through verse 12 or so is basically showing us how that love plays out. And it then gives us the example of it is propitiation of Christ. And how do I then live that out? By loving my brothers and sisters in Christ. That amazing word, propitiation, reminds us that I'm a sinner And I needed salvation. That word propitiation reminds me that sin brings about the wrath of God because I have chosen to break a covenant with the holy God and sin is an affront to Him. Propitiation reminds us that God, though, out of His love, paid the penalty through the blood of His only Son. And then propitiation reminds us that God loves me enough to tell me how to contact that blood in order to have my sins covered over and His wrath appeased. And then propitiation reminds me that God is no longer angry toward me if I've been faithful, but has been appeased by my, my obedience. And how I live that out is loving my brothers and sisters in Christ. If God Himself is appeased by a plan that he laid out, even though I broke the covenant, I chose to sin, how could I not love my fellow Christians? How could I not show forgiveness? How could I not show love in any way I possibly can? The simple fact that I can call you brother or call you sister goes back to propitiation. Because God loved me enough to provide a plan for me to be blessed to be part of your family. Because we're all His children. That's this word. And so when you're reading through your Bible next year, or maybe you get to First John later this year, and you come across this big fancy Bible word, and maybe, maybe you find yourself kind of scratching your head and going, I'm not even sure I can pronounce that word. Three phrases and it's yours. When you see that word propitiation, 
Remember, it is an atoning sacrifice. Remember, it is God's wrath appeased. And remember, it is when I see the blood, your sins are covered over. Can I simply ask you tonight, have you followed the plan that God laid out so that that blessing is yours? Don't you want the blood of Christ to cover over your sins? He's told us how to do that. It's in the waters of baptism. It's not actual blood. He shed His actual blood, but we contact it by faith in the waters of baptism. Have you done that? If not, tonight's the night to do that. I would assume on a Sunday night, most of us have, if not nearly all of us have, who are of age. But am I living in such a way that I'm honoring that? I may not even really know what this word was before I got here. But am, I, but am I living in such a way that honors even that concept of what Christ did for me, what God's love did for me through Christ? Maybe tonight you need to be forgiven of not honoring that with your life. Or you need to be encouraged simply to be more faithful each day. And tonight if we can assist you in being baptized or returning in faithfulness, we invite you to come while we stand and sing to encourage you.